You're listening to the Northwestern Campus Ministry Podcast from Northwestern College in Orange City, Iowa. Northwestern Campus Ministry exists to send students out as those rooted, built up, and established in Christ for God's glory and for the sake of the world. Thanks for listening and enjoy this recent message from our Christian Formation Program. Good to be in the house of the Lord, worshiping this Friday together. Raiders, we are blessed and privileged to have uh, some friends of ours, uh, longtime friends of ours up from Opelousas, Louisiana. Uh, 15-year partnership uh, between Northwestern College and a ministry called Hope for Opelousas. And so we're blessed to have Christina Anderson. She's a Northwestern alum, 2005 alum. She serves as Hope for Opelousas' administrative director. Uh, She's been doing that since 2010. She's a native of Sioux City, went on to get her degree in psychology from here at Northwestern, went on to get her master's in higher ed at Geneva, has worked as an RD at Bryant College, and then Hope for Opelousas these last last number of years, over a decade. And then also Lauren Carrier, alongside her, he is the executive director of Hope for Opelousas. Um, This ministry is a a community development ministry uh, down there in that community. He's a graduate of the University of Louisiana, has served in a number of local churches, and also was a chair at one time at the St. Landry Parish Chamber of Commerce. Uh, he's won a number of awards, including a 2016 Blue Cross Blue Shield Foundation Angel Award in, in, uh, there for his work with Opelousas Youth. He was awarded the Our Lady Lourdes Franciscan Medal of Honor in 2015, and in 2019 he received two awards, both the Father of the Year Honoree uh, Award by the Greater Lafayette Area and the Louisiana and a Youth Seminar Life's Achievement Award. So we're blessed to have both Christina and Lauren with us today, bringing a word from the Lord. Can you give them with me a warm Raider welcome? Hello, hello. Test mic one, two. Golly, so good to be with you guys here today. So 15 years of God weaving the story of some, some crazy Cajuns and, uh, and beautiful people from Iowa. So I'm so excited to stand here before you. I wanted to introduce you real quick to my family. My wife said this is a prereq for me to be able to come and do this. So uh, this is my 13-year-old daughter, Ivy. Uh, Ivy is the artist of the family. Um, while we've been growing Hope for Opelousas over the last 15 years, I've been growing a giant family. So I have five kids. Ivy is my oldest. She's our artist. That's an art installation that she was a part of. This is Autumn. She's my uh, gymnast and, so- and a softball player and knows no strangers at all. Um, this is Lauren Benjamin Carrier Jr. Uh, he loves climbing, jumping, doing any ninja move he can. Um, this is Jesse Michael. He will tell you anything you need to know about dinosaurs um, and loves to give lectures on that. Uh, If you ever come to Opelousas, you will get one. And um, lastly, this beautiful baby boy was born on March 1st, a day after the team arrived in Opelousas this past year. Uh, We had a home birth, and then I got to stay home all week with my baby and my wife, and these guys just killed it, um, doing some amazing work. So I'm so excited to share with you this morning, and I don't have a lot of time, so we are going to jump. Oh, how can I forget the most important one? This is my wife, Tori, um, and she she keeps me sane. I I would be completely lost without her. Um, She's currently a nursing student. She's going back to college, and she's pursuing becoming a midwife, a licensed midwife. Uh, So that's us. That's our tribe. Uh, Let me jump right into Scripture today. We're going to be looking at Luke 
Chapter 10, verse 25 through 37, the parable of the Good Samaritan. So here we go. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You should love the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, whenever he came to the place, saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers? He said, The one who showed mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, Lord, you're so good that you, um, you seek after us to heal our hearts, Lord, to show us your great love for us um, and what it means to be children of God. Lord, would you speak clearly today? Would you make your, your way plain to us? Would you help us to, to not complicate things but bring it to simplicity as we look into your word and hear from your spirit? It's in Jesus' name that we pray. So all of the Bible can be summed up into two handy commandments, love God and neighbor. And so today with our brief time, my hope is that we can look at this parable of the Good Samaritan and hopefully can bring that clarity that I'm speaking about to the commands that God calls us to do, but also to the heart of the Savior and how much he loves us. So this discourse begins with a question posed by the lawyer. Um, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What a great question, right? I mean, it's, it's an uh, age-old question that every human has got to consider. Um, but we see that in the scripture, he was actually seeking to put Jesus to the test. He was not really seeking an answer to his question. Um, he had in mind to trap Jesus. And I love how Jesus hit him with like that Uno card, reverse, reverse. And so he like posed the question back with a question. And so he says, well, what is written? How do you read it? And so the lawyer gives the correct answer. Um, as Christians, we understand that the law is a way of life, right? It's not a way to life. It's rather how we ought to live, but not a way to life. So um, whenever we are Christians, we are lucky. We have the entirety of the New Testament. We know what Jesus had to do to pay for our salvation, and that it's not by the works of the law, but by grace, through faith, that we inherit eternal life, right? Uh, amen. Um, but we see that this is where the lawyer was going whenever Scripture says that he was seeking to justify himself and understand who his neighbor was. Um, so this guy had an idea. If I could quantify who my neighbor is, then I could love them as myself and then earn my way to eternal life. He thought that his salvation was about being good, about keeping the law. So Jesus jumps right into a story to disarm him. And I love how Jesus does that. Uh, and so he said this. 
so he starts off with a story talking about the Samaritan. We already read it. He said, a man. That's how he began his, sorry, I'm trying to get where we need to be. He said, a man was going down. And so when you look in commentators, they say that Jesus said, a man, to be able to put this lawyer who he was speaking to right into the shoes of this man. So essentially he's saying, a man just like you, a Jewish man. And then we see him juxtapose him with some other characters as we're in there. So the first two other characters that we meet are the spiritual leaders of the time, the priests and the Levites. The Old Testament priests of the day, their job was to represent man before God. Um, And the fact that both the priest and the Levite walked on the other side of the road and kept on going goes right along with Jesus's critiques about the religious leaders of that time. Some of his strongest words were reserved for the religious leaders of the time. And that's why he came, to show what God with skin on really, really looked like. And so he gives no explanations about why they passed along, but to continue to go along with his story. And then he says, but a Samaritan. So let's unpack some of the history so we can truly understand what it really means to love our neighbors. So um, if we think about the history between the Jews and the Samaritans, it was a longstanding history of hatred. And this is something that we in 2021 can relate to in in many different levels. The first was a racial hatred that was going on between the Samaritans and the Jews. The Samaritans were considered racially mixed with other nations. They were called dogs by the Jews and treated as such. Um, And it went both ways. They both hated one another. The next was also a religious hatred. Their views of how to worship and where to worship were completely different. So we see in this context, we have all of this tension built into this relationship that they stumble upon as he finds this bleeding man on the side of the road. So let's get back to the question. Who is my neighbor? That's the question that the lawyer started with. Who is my neighbor? So in this scenario, the answer would be anyone that we encounter in need, right? This man came upon this man who was in need. That was his neighbor in that moment, and he responded. But not even just anyone who is in need. Anyone who is in need, even if they are your sworn enemy. Someone who is utterly different than you. That's who Jesus calls you to love. And that's what takes the Holy Spirit to be able to live that kind of life and love like that. So what would be a modern analogy for this type of parable? Because we're in a semi-conservative room, I must uh, do like Jesus did, and he put the conservative person on on the ground bleeding and dying and left for dead. So maybe it would be something like a black guy walking by with a BLM shirt and stopping to save the white guy with the Trump hat on who's bleeding and dying on the ground. So if I were in a liberal context, I might switch those, uh, that analogy around and flip them around. So my question to you is, does that level of love bother you? Does that, does that kind of, is it hard to think about loving a sworn enemy to the point that we see the Samaritan going? So Jesus is basically telling to us that um, the way that we respond to the stranger, the way that we respond even to our enemies will be a fruit to reveal if we even know him. There's a section of scripture in Matthew 25 that is very scary, where Jesus says, hey, I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I I was in need and you didn't give me, you didn't support me, you didn't love me. Um, And whenever you do this to the least of these, you didn't do it to me. Whenever you don't do it, you didn't do it to me. He's basically saying that by your fruit, you you will know them. 
Uh, A quote from Timothy Keller says it like this. Jesus taught that a lack of concern for the poor is not a minor lapse, but reveals that something is seriously wrong with one's heart, seriously wrong with one's spiritual compass of heart. In other words, a heart not bent towards grace and mercy has not experienced true compassion. When we ignore the poor, we show that we have not yet understood our own poverty. Um, So here are some frequently given excuses to this parable um, that it utterly destroys. The first thing that we do when we try to think about uh, our neighbor is we limit the who. So it's natural for us to want to give and to love and to build relationships with those who are like us. We can identify with them. You can remember uh, where they were. uh, But Jesus says, watch out. This parable tells us, watch out. Let me tell you about your neighbor. This parable tells us that we must cross both racial and theological boundaries and differences that we have with those around us. You aren't just called to love those that you like to hang out with, those who you can relate with, those who listen to the same music and do the same things. The Lord is calling us out of those places and to love those who are drastically different than us and those that we don't even like to be around sometimes because we don't understand them. So the translation for me, living in Opelousas, the the kind of words that I speak to my community is that for Christians, if you're living in a community that is 80% African-American, white Christians, problems affecting the black community aren't just black people problems. They are our problems because they affect our neighbors and our brothers and sisters. That's some of the translation that I do for for my community. Um, So anyone who is your neighbor, do not limit the who. Anyone who is in need. Uh, the next thing that we try to do is limit the when. We like to help in certain times. We like to help, help people who uh, maybe a house burns down or there was a car accident or something, some kind of cancer. Sometimes we think that they didn't bring upon themselves. We limit the when. Uh, but this parable and the gospel won't let you do that. In this parable, the Samaritan would think that the Jewish man deserved what he had coming, up, coming upon him. But yet he reaches down. Some of this sounds like, oh, they did that to themselves, or she shouldn't have gotten pregnant, or he was using drugs. That's why he's in this situation. But the Lord calls us, let me ask you this question. What if, what if God limited the when he would love you? Um, what if Christ loved you like that? I'm only going to come down and help when I find someone who deserves it. Christ would have never came, right? He would have never come down. Um, But yet Christ loved you and pitied me and you enough to come and to pull us out of the misery that we oftentimes bring upon ourselves. So you cannot limit the who, you cannot limit the when, and you cannot limit the how much. So what did the Samaritan give? Well, first, he risked his life because he stopped. This guy had just been beat up by robbers. But he stops and risks his life to to help this man who is in need in that moment. And he probably also risked his standing in the community. I bet his buddies were like, dude, why'd you help that that, that Jewish guy? You know, like, you should have just left him there to die. You know, that's what they deserve. But then he went even further. He doesn't just bind up his wounds, but he makes sure that he is alive and that he is provided for until he was fully restored. Giving when it doesn't hurt you is not the type of giving that the gospel is calling us to do. Giving and loving until it does cause you pain is. So my question for you is, did Jesus limit his love for you? So we cannot limit the love that we have for others. We must be open-handed in the way that we live, even with our enemies. Um, So let's recap. How do I love my neighbor? We help 
even people you would hate the sight of, help people who brought this upon themselves, help to the extent that their burden falls upon you, and that's what loving your neighbor is like. That's the way Jesus loves you. So, are you living like this? <laughs> you know, what a tall order. And the question is, you know, it's, it's a struggle to live like this. It's a tension to live like this. So how are we going to get the power that we need to live this type of life? And I'll tell you really quick, there's two ways that we get it. One works um, and the other doesn't. The first one is morality. So one way we could approach this is that, well, the Bible commands it. We, we just need to muscle our way through this and go and do it. And so this is true. The Bible does command us to live like this. But I will tell you, motivation by guilt and because I said so doesn't work with my kids and it, it doesn't work with our own hearts. We weren't wired up to work that way. So is anybody feeling guilty in here? Let me just tell you, stop, <laughs> because it won't help you. Jesus wasn't trying to make the lawyer feel guilty. The key to the power is where Jesus places the lawyer in the story. And so Jesus puts the Israelite on the road and the Samaritan on the horse. And what he's saying to the lawyer is, what if you were bleeding to death and your only hope was an act of free grace from an enemy who doesn't owe you anything but a boot in the face or to keep walking? What would you want in that moment? And of course, we would all say we would want grace. We would want, we would want our enemy to stop and to help us and to lift us up. And so only, I will tell you this, only if you are loved like this will you have the power then to go and do likewise. Only then would you be a radical neighbor. We don't need another rule that tells us uh, a no racism rule or a no selfishness rule. We need a dynamic heart change. And so Jesus was telling this parable to show us, in, in this, it's just a parable, but when you look at Jesus's life and all of scripture, you realize that Jesus was the great Samaritan. We can put ourselves in the middle of this story. Remember your place in the story. We are the ones in this life who are on this life left for dead, who are bleeding and dying, but yet Jesus leaves heaven and comes down to earth to love us and to call us no longer enemies, but sons and daughters of the Most High, to graft us into his family, bless us with all the riches that he has for us. And so the gospel says, see what's been done for you, now go and do likewise. So I'll finish with a couple of practical suggestions. The first one is this. We need to re-neighbor ourselves. So I want to challenge you to rethink being a neighbor. Think about those who are living in your dorm. Think about those who are truly in need. And that's where we can start to be good neighbors. That's where we can start to love those who we're called into relationship with and have compassion. And as we do that, God is going to stretch us and grow us. And he's going to make the world a more beautiful place in the process. Uh, the next thing is to rethink evangelism. This type of living and loving is a tool that God uses to spread the gospel. And so as we love and live like this, it is going to be changing the world for the kingdom. And then uh, the last thing I'll tell you about is to re-examine our isms. So racism, sexism, classism, all of these things, this human condition where we're trying to separate ourselves from others. The reality is, is that we all do that. No matter what side of the, of the issue you might fall, we all begin to draw these hard lines and, and not associate and, and have love for those who are on the other sides of those issues. Um, our affinity becomes more with our race or our political group or our theology crowd. And when, then we believe that all the problems in the world are from that other group. And Jesus's command to love our neighbor has the power to free us from all of those types of situations. And we learn to love the other. 
So I hope that this is encouraging to you, and I hope that you, you realize how hard of a struggle it is, but I want to encourage you to press into it because it, it is how God is going to stretch you and grow you and change you and give you a purpose uh, in, in this world. So uh, let me quick pray. God, you are so good. Lord, you are the great Samaritan. You give us life and love, and Lord, you loved us whenever we uh, didn't deserve it. And so, Lord, I pray that you would make us people that are so empowered by that love that we would press into relationships that are going to cost us much, that are going to drain us. Um, But, Lord, you are the one who is going to fill us up. And in that process, Lord, you will grow us in humility. You will grow us um, in character. And, Lord, you will grow us closer to Christ. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Christina, why don't you come on up? Take your time. Wow, okay, I'm here. Um, thank you all for having me so much. Um, it's really great to be back on, uh, on this campus. Um, it was 18, 20 years ago that I was a student here. Um, I was sitting in those seats, um, listening to all the people. Um, I hope that I have a little bit uh, my story. I'm just gonna share my story, um, and I hope that you guys can see how it relates to what Lauren was sharing with you guys, um, and mostly, seeing me and how I was trying to limit God in, in um, working in my life and what I was going to do. Um, so I quite literally, like I said, was sitting in your seat. Um, I was a Northwest Iowa girl, grew up in Sioux City, um, came to Northwestern in 2001 um, as a baby Christian, I, but I knew I was going to be a Red Raider all the way through high school. I would come here for praise and worship. Um, on some Sunday nights with one of my FCA leaders, and it, I just knew I was an, I was a Red Raider from the beginning. So I was here in 2001, went through the whole college experience, graduated in 2005, um, but I was a baby Christian, and I learned so much here. I found so much of who I was while I was here, um, and so I thought this is where God was. This is the only place that God was. And so my whole life trajectory was going to be getting myself back here. I went off to grad school, did it, was trying to get back here and work in student development, didn't do that. Um, I ended up at Bryan College in te- Dayton, Tennessee, um, and I worked as an RD there for three years. Um, being an RD there, um, was great, but I still had my plan of getting back to Northwestern eventually, um, be close to home and family and where God was. So um, that was still my trajectory. That was my goal. Those were the people that I was called to love. Um, but long story short, I ended up as an advisor on a mission trip to um, Opelousas, Louisiana, in 2009. And when I got there the first day, I said hi to the Northwestern team that came down from my alma mater. Like, it was the craziest experience. That was the first place that I saw, like, God really imprinting Opelousas on my heart because this place, you know, I was still coming back to Opelou- or still coming back to Northwestern. They brought Northwestern to Opelousas. Like, I met the team from Northwestern first day, and a couple of people that I graduated with were on that, um, on that trip. It was amazing. I did not want to go to Northwest. I did not want to go to Opelousas. I'm sorry. Um, Louisiana was probably like the 50th out of 50 states that I cared to go visit. Um, So, but I got there um, and it was an amazing week. Uh, So many little things um, that I saw God in um, just really working on on me and my selfishness and all those sorts of things. Um, My plans for that summer fell through. 
Um, so I ended up back down there for 10 weeks, um, working that summer. And it was, it was a great experience. Uh, definitely got me out of my comfort zone. I was learning a new culture. I was a white girl from Northwest Iowa where not much diversity, and now I was a minority for the first time in my life. Um, and so that, you know, obviously is gonna, gonna teach you a lot. Um, but when I was there, I encountered people like Lauren and our um, people on our board that um, they were asking hard questions and they were really actively searching for the answers. And it's something I wanted to be a part of. Um, but most, most importantly, they were truly living out what it looked like to be loving their neighbor. Um, and so in 2010, I moved to Opelousas full time. And when I moved there, that was the first time in my life that I was not coming home to Northwest Iowa. I was staying in Opelousas. So, um, yeah, so um, the people down there, they were, it was their second year of ministry. Um, they didn't have it all together. They didn't, they didn't have much of a structure of how, how they were doing what they were doing. Um, but they knew that God called them to love. And um, just like you guys heard Lauren talk about as a Samaritan, um, love the neighbor. And so... Um, I got to Opelousas, I've been there for 11 years now, it's my home. Um, I have learned to love the culture and people there. Um, I'll tell you a little bit about what we do, because I don't have much time left, um, but um, our organization, we, the hub of what we do is an after-school ministry program, tutoring kids, we um, have five full-time staff now, we've grown a little bit, it used to be Lauren, and then I got there, and then now we have five people. Um, full-time, and then we have some, we hire high schoolers that work with our kids, and they do, um, tutoring after school. So that's kind of the hub of what we do um, in the community, but we have several things that we do outside on like the spokes of that. So we take our kids on um, high adventure backpacking and canoe trips. I'm sure you've seen some of the pictures. Um, whitewater rafting, those sorts of things. That's, an, that's a leadership thing that we do with our kids in the, in the um, high school age. Um, but then we take them to summer camp. We do summer camps with them. A ton of mentoring is happening. Um, but one of the things that we love every year is that a group from Northwestern comes down and um, they join us um, and help us move the ball, move the ball forward. Um, so we absolutely love it when you guys come. We try to have as much fun as we can, share as much food as we possibly can with you guys. Um, so you guys are going to have the opportunity here in the next couple of weeks to sign up for a trip. If it's not Opelousas, that is totally fine because God will use you where he puts you. And so if you don't get your first choice, remember, I was, Opelousas was 50th, my 50th choice. So um, he will use you where he puts you. Um, so just to, just to close, because I got to get going here. Um, oh, let me turn it over here. If when you go to serve, when you go to serve somewhere else, people that are different from you, go and do it as a learner, because I guarantee that you don't know what the people need there more than they do. Um, so loving your neighbor starts with listening. So that's all I have for you. Thanks. And Mark's going to come back up.